And action! Hello and welcome to episode 330 of the of Filmmakers, Filmmakers Podcast. Podcast. This is an inspiring chat about how to make films and get them off the ground, raise funds and get them seen by audiences. Whoa, 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 whoa. Look, look, at, look at you going <laughs> off book. It's time for something different. No, it's not. That shock, yeah. Let's, let's keep with tradition. Oh, what it, okay, what is what is the intro? The intro is. I feel like we've gone. We've gone really like philosophical by by going off book. It's it's about how to get your films made. Really, like, it's it's about the mistakes. <laughs> it's about <laughs> the challenges, and it's about all those quirky, unusual, original ways that you go through to to get your film made in a very specific way. So there we go. Brilliant. That's the film was for. I thought you were going to do the actual intro. I thought no, no, you were no, 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 no. I still don't. I, I, I'd have to actually remember it for that. <laughs> That's what I need. That's what I was like. Come on, then. So on today's show, we have Eddie Sternberg, an incredible director, and he's made the feature film I Used to Be Famous. He has indeed. He came round to my house, um, which is nice because he lives just down the road. Um, we sat in our dining room and we recorded for two hours. Boys yeah. and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Two hours. Two long hours. Uh, so poor Toby is cutting this down into less than two hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> One hour, 59 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what did we talk about? Well, we, we, we kind of talk about, I mean, it's been, it's interesting for, for Eddie because I, I I knew him when we were both sort of doing short filmers together and, and he had this cool, you know, short film that was, um, you know, about an autistic boy that meets a, a sort of a, a once famous musician uh, and you know many many years later he, he's managed to get this in, into you know a really respectable very successful Netflix film uh, and it's it's really about that journey that we we discuss on the episode like finding the right producers what the hiccups were along the way um, you know what worked what didn't work uh, and why they they finally sort of took his project on yeah and I think the important thing as Dom said there is how he turned his short film into the feature film I used to be famous and it became very very popular uh, it was a big Netflix uh, hit and uh, yeah he talked all about that with Netflix how it happened how he got Ed Screen to star in it yeah I, I really love this movie I didn't know Eddie at the time. I didn't know you knew him and that's how the connection happened. And I just watched it on Netflix and went, I think I fancy this. And I thought, this is really good. And I think I mentioned it to you and you went, oh yeah, I'll speak to Eddie and see if you can come on. And mm. it's delightful now that we've, we've managed to get him on. So if any of you watched it late last year, um, it's really worth watching. It's still on Netflix now. It's great. It's great. It's a really good debut movie. The film follows Vince, who's a desperate former pop star, dreams of making a comeback. Um, and then at an impromptu jam session with autistic young drummer Stevie Sparks, an unexpected friendship between the two misunderstood musicians. Uh, it's produced by Colin McCarthy uh, and the cinematographer was Angus Hudson. There we go. Right. Um, you're in the middle of the tour, aren't you, Dom, for the Shakespeare Sisters latest feature film, Much Ado. Yeah. How's it going? Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they always do well. These these Shakespeare shenanigans. Uh, mm. Popular popular filmmakers know how to put on an after party. Always uh, always a good event, really. So it probably should come down. Yeah, absolutely. Link to where they are screening next on their cinema tour is in the show notes. So head to that. Um, because the episode's long, should we just get to it? Get rid of the bump and the waffle. Uh, probably a good idea. I mean, maybe we should tell them again that they should come to the Triple Exposure launch event on the 22nd of March. 
They definitely should. And I'm glad you reminded me. Yes, uh, 22nd, myself and Dom are hosting. It's a, a networking event and launch of a company that is banding together with insurance, accountancy, and clearance rights. It is performance insurance. It is Elliot's and it's reviewed and cleared. And also Pete from Greenlit, uh, which is a crowdfunding platform also involved. It's going to be a great event. It's all day on the 22nd from 12 until 6 of March. Uh, so come down, come join us. Link to that is in the show notes. Right, this is, this is it then. No more news. Pretty much no. No, that's it. Great. All right. Uh, on next week's show, <laughs> more news there is. Uh, coming up very soon is Florian Zeller, the son director of The Father and the Son uh, and Stephen Follows with another Business of Film Explained we've also got Richard Eyre coming up with his film Alleluia <laughs> when that <And> is <laughs> we've got when it airs yeah I know one day uh, and then we've got Dungeons and Dragons so the team behind that came on as well and talked to Hugh and Christian James because me and Don were away so there we go right no more bump, <laughs> yeah. right? I love that disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> this is our chat with the brilliant Eddie Sternberg. Sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat with him. Enjoy. Um, yeah, yeah, I hate, hate cars. Networking events aren't my favorite. I remember you saying, yeah. Yeah, but you, you, that's the thing. You have to kind of get good at them, don't you? Yeah. You yeah. do have to get Yeah, Yeah, I just sort of, I, when I when I do networking events, I just, I sort of, I don't waste my energy on like trying to talk to everyone. I just have a few good conversations. Yeah. And then like when I'm when I'm sort of burnt out, I go. <laughs> I have a few good conversations. Yeah, I'll speak to like, you know, maybe five people. Quality over quantity. Quality yeah, over quantity, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Take those conversations yeah. around to every single new group. Exactly. <laughs> it's the same conversation yeah. with everyone. Same, same level of pun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it though, that you forgot what group you've gone to and you go back to yeah. the same group. You do exactly, they go, hang on, you've just told us yeah. this. I've done that a few times. Have actually. You? No, no, yeah. not, not over the same networking event, but I've been to different networking events um, you know stuff like screen skills or something and oh, yeah. you, you meet someone that's like you know you don't know no in the industry but you've like you speak yeah. to them and I've, I've, I realised like a second hang on I've spoken to this person three times in a row and I've introduced myself and you every time or that line where you go so nice to meet you yeah, yeah. so nice to meet you uh, hang on you like you, you twat you yeah. Yeah. that was yeah. literally a minute ago <laughs> absolutely yeah. that's how much I registered on your yeah. scale exactly there's yeah. no more of that so shit we've, we've all been there we have, we have. How are you doing, Eddie? You all right? Uh, very good, thank you. Very pleased to be here. How are yeah. you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm I'm feeling good because we're recording in my house. Yeah. Which is Milling nice. it over in the hill. Yeah. I'm hill. very pleased we're recording in your house too. Tell us why. I live upstairs. No. <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know. I've been here the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been here for 15 years. Um, I live like five minutes down the road. So this is a wonderful, wonderful uh, mm. Uh, chat to have. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And oh, because I think I've cracked a rib <laughs> playing football yesterday. No Prince jokes there? No. <laughs> Wait, what? Eddie gets it. Fish bump Eddie. Yeah, I don't think he cracked one. I think he took him out. <laughs> so that's why I did it. <laughs> I was playing football and it really hurt. So I'm quite glad that I didn't have to go out anywhere yeah. this okay, morning great. as well. Yeah. So that helps. So yes, it's good. Good yeah. start of the podcast. <laughs> great start. If you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yes, you know, you know. Look up Prince and Ribs. Um, <laughs> or, or don't. Oh, if you've got children. Can, can, we, can we just talk about this for the next hour? Just this. No, I used to be famous at all. I love it. I love it. Well, um, I don't even know where to start. The whole concept, before we actually get into the, the nuts and bolts of mm. the film itself, the whole concept of being famous is a, is a fascinating one. I mean, there's there's one line in the movie that, that really like just sort of stuck with me, which is like, is it, this is my time. Yeah, or, this or, is your time. This yeah. is your time. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is this is your time. And it's like, it's, it's this idea of like, you know, everyone is, it's not about always being famous. It's, it's about doing what you love. And, and I think a lot of filmmakers can probably connect with that. Like, mm. you know, you have those moments when you're making your film and you're on top of the world. And then you have those moments when you're trying to make the film and, and everything is a struggle and you're like, hang on, that, that felt like such a distant thing, you know, that that mm. fame. But it's not the fame, it, it's it's actually just the the reward of of being where you love. Yeah. Um and I think I think that there's something the universe about your film that resonates with that sort of concept of like when you're when you're really in that moment of of joy and creativity mm. and then trying to sort of get that back or, or try to get back those younger years when you, you know, didn't have responsibility or you didn't have that or, or this, uh, and life was, well, life was simple. So what was the, what was the kind of the origins of your story and how did it all sort of come about? When you, thank you for saying that, by the way, when you were talking just then, I was just thinking about my single life, just dreaming, uh, fondly about, no, I'm kidding. Please don't kill me. <laughs> Actually, my wife, please don't kill me. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, no, I, 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 I peaked for Eddie the Bachelor. Yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, um, God. Yeah, I wish. New year, new Eddie, new marriage. <laughs> this is started off badly. Um, so, no, yeah, the, that, that was exactly it. That was the uh, original kind of concept. Um, I remember I was like, uh, it was like 2013, I think, and I was sat at the Prince Charles Cinema watching Francis Ha. Mm. Um, and uh, it wasn't a very busy work day, as you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> no Bambacks film. No Bambacks film, yeah. yeah. Um, haven't actually seen it because I was sat there watching it. Wait, you were in the cinema? watching Francis Ha, but you didn't actually see it. Wait. Well, this is this is wise because suddenly- It wasn't a Francis Ha Ha, it's just a <laughs> just single Ha Ha. Wasn't enough funny to keep you there. Exactly. Uh, it just wasn't Ha Ha enough. Um, so I, it just, the, the idea of Vince just came into my head. There were a lot of um, former boy band and girl band members that were mm. sort of coming out of the woodwork at that, at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a lot of conversation, you know, uh, about, about this exact thing about, you know, peaking at, at a very young age mm. or supposedly peaking or thinking that you've peaked at that age and having this kind of abundance of uh, of uh, an excess of like sex, drugs, rock and roll or sex, drugs and and, and sugar pop <laughs> and um, too much sugar. Um, and, and at that time, it was just quite interesting because these people were all being interviewed in like TV shows and in the press and they had like a reunion tour and there were these kind of recurring themes of just sort of uh, and they were really young as well. You know, a lot of them are sort of like late twenties, early thirties, mm. where most people are sort of getting their lives together. You know, a lot of people aren't even then. And it just felt quite interesting with them talking about this very short period of time in their life where they just had everything they could possibly want and they're being chewed up and spat out mm. and then having to deal with that. Try and reinvent themselves, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. And so I was sat there in the cinema trying to watch this film, but this idea came and I was one of those really annoying people that was just on their phone. Oh, wow. Low light mode, yeah. but still, yeah, sorry. Yeah, pretty, I was one of those guys and I was just like writing notes throughout the whole thing. And then I, uh, and then I left um, halfway through because I just felt a bit bad. About, Francis you know. halfway through. <laughs> No, Can we I, cheers the microphone. We, we couldn't. 
Uh, it was it? just a fist bump the microphone. Yeah. You, you know, I bambaxed his way out. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, really He's not sorry. No, yeah. Bambax is not going to listen to this. Um, oh, he will. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, that, and unless that. we do a non, no bombax to back episode. <laughs> That was that was a stretch. That, that was, was far that was too stretch. far. Um, but it's, it's and that that idea just came. I, I really like that. That when you're somewhere and you well, have him a, texting in the cinema. No, I don't like that. <laughs> but what I like is the fact that he has an idea, mm. and a lot of people go, "I've got an idea," and they sort of sit on it. On the maybe what one little thing will stay in their mind, mm. and then they'll go off and do 10, 50 other things, and they yeah. go, oh, "I had that idea. Oh, I can't remember what it was." Yeah. And sometimes when you have an idea, I think it's so important if you think it's a good one, to jot it down there and then. Yeah. Just go, stop what you're doing. Doesn't don't matter. Don't worry about the other people that have paid money to see the film. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about the <laughs> cinema. Don't worry about etiquette. They'll thank you eventually. That idea. Yeah, <laughs> if you make a good enough film, Exactly. Those yeah. people who were in that cinema with yeah. you, who were listening now, will be yeah. thankful. Maybe some uh, of them, maybe a lot of them, watched mm. your film. And That's what I mean. It's officially yeah. their favourite film. Yeah. 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 Better than yeah. Francis Ha Ha. Exactly. Yeah. Oh god! Yeah. <laughs> Take that, one back. Take that, literally, um, because that is all about you know uh, an ex-musician, mm. you know, falling out of favor, not being famous but still being recognised. Mm. And I, I think that's that's a really tough role. It happens mm. to actors, uh, less so to filmmakers. But mm. definitely, if you're an actor and you were in some huge show, and now you can't work or you struggle or you went through mental health problems because people do mm. this happens. Oh yeah, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So you went from that, writing this idea down. How did you then turn it into something? Because that's mm. sometimes the hard bit. I realised that, you know, that that story was quite quite juicy, you know, having a former pop star. And well, I mean, the, the stuff that, that I was researching was uh, amazing because, you know, a lot of it was really, really funny. There were some really funny stories from like former pop stars. Some of it was really tragic as well. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, and, and it just felt really kind of uh, rich and fertile for, for kind of a film story. Um, but then I, I kind of realized, you know, that there were all these questions that were coming up in my head of sort of like, well, what, where does music sit? in this actually, you know, if he, if, if Vince, this, you know, this former boy band star had it all and it's for, you know, like it was, he was in a pop band, was it ever about music for him or was it always about the fact that he was just rich and famous? And, and I, I like the idea that it was always about music, but it was just a kind of slightly misguided, you know, uh, commodified version of music where he'd been sort of packaged and then thrown, you know, before, whilst he was figuring out the sort of musician he wanted to be. Because a lot of these people were very talented but they're kind of, you know, like packaged in a certain way. And 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 then I, I was chatting to my wife about it, my wife Ashley, and we were sort of trying to trying to figure out who could be the kind of antithesis to, to Vince, you know. What, is this what, the wife Ashley who's just left you? This is the wife who's yeah. just left me, yes. Um, Former wife. Uh, yeah, my, sorry, my, my ex-wife Ashley. Um, we're terrible, Muriel. <laughs> and she, um, uh, she's uh, really upset that I didn't see Francis, haha. Um, and um, so anyway, so, so we... Uh, we're chatting about it and 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 the subject of my cousin Saul came up, Saul Zerspiro. Uh so Saul's story is amazing. Cut long story short, he is a uh a, a really talented drummer who's um who formed a band called the Autistics. Uh and, and they're they're a band, a rock band who do really, really well, where the majority of the members uh, are autistic. Back when he was about 10, um he he did and he still does have very high support needs. But at that time, um he uh, he didn't know how to play the drums. He also had um, uh, difficulty with crowds and sort of um, very loud noises, like dogs barking, babies crying. But they, they, they sat him down by the drums and, and gave him drumsticks, which at the time he couldn't actually hold. And then he, he got the strength to hold them and started hitting the drums. 
And he, he'd always quite enjoyed music and it had always helped a little bit. But when they sat him down by the drums, they noticed that there was something, you know, uh, uh, an experience that, that was just a whole new level of enjoyment for him. Um, and they, you know, he started uh, um, getting tutored and started getting better and better. And then basically uh, formed this band and fast forward to, I think, I think it's about five or six years after that point he's performing on stage in front of a thousand people. Wow. Uh, so Tom Jones is in the front row. Mm. They invite him up on stage, not because he's Sir Tom Jones. He, they just know that he's a, a potential music mate. You know, yeah. just another guy that likes music. Just yeah. some random bloke. Just some random Called bloke. Tom, they thought. Yeah, with, a, <laughs> with a great voice of an angel. Yes. Um, <laughs> he comes up on stage and then he performs a Beatles song with them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so for me, the idea of, you know, music as this, this force for, you know, good and, and and enjoyment, but also the power it can give to people and especially someone like Saul mm. to go from not liking cr uh, large crowds and loud noises to be performing in front of a thousand people. That was the, the, the purity of that story uh, represented a whole different side to music for me. So I thought having him uh, as a kind of, you know, uh, antithesis to, to Vince's story, I thought that was quite uh, fertile ground. And it is, it's a very challenging thing. I mean, for anyone to, I mean, I remember when we did the, the make your film events uh, and like even not, even like a hundred, 120 people in a room where you're like the one who's, who's being like focused on and have to sort of maintain the thing. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a daunting thing to deal with. Mm. Like a thousand people. Yeah. Is a anyone, lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot, a lot of people that are creative as well, they, I mean, whether you're you're an actor or a director, are, are quite introverted, mm. and and actually, it's it's getting past those those things are quite a challenge, really, like being in large large spaces. Um, and then obviously, on top of that, he's got these extra um, support needs. I mean, it's quite a it's quite an achievement, really, to to get to that stage uh, uh, for anyone, but, yeah. but especially for him. Uh, exactly, and and it was just so clear that the music is one of the main things that basically helped him get there. Mm. And it's just, it, I found that quite powerful. And then yeah. I kind of did quite a bit of research and went along to sort of um, uh, music therapy groups uh, for, for neurodivergent people. And it was just absolutely magic. I mean, there's certain scenes in the film that are, are sort of literally lifted from experiences that I I'd sort of witnessed. Mm. So the, the bit in the film where um, Nadira, uh, the the um, the girl at the end. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Well, spoiler, it, if you haven't seen yeah, it. it's fine. Yeah, uh, towards the end, but <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to watch. You're not supposed to listen to the podcast unless you've watched the film. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You, you, should, exactly. you should watch the film. Should, yeah. Yeah. But if you I, haven't, you can watch it after. Yeah. That means I can't listen <laughs> to the now now if you're yeah. if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Um to, to, <laughs> toward, in the third act, there's a, a a scene where one of the members of the, of this uh, music therapy group finds her voice mm. and sings. And, and and that that really happened. Um uh, it was it was a different person. Um, but that person was sort of silent throughout the whole of this 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 session. Um and just sort of, you know, didn't look like they were enjoying it too much. And then suddenly they got handed the mic and then they performed this like word perfect, what a wonderful world. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite magical. Yeah. So from there, like you say, you've got this idea, you've got this story. Did you, you did it as a short first, right? Was that? Because that, that's how we met. That's what I was going to say. Ah, go yeah. on. So I met, I met Eddie at a, um, a short film night and Eddie had just done his short film and I just done my short film. And I remember watching it and thinking, this is a, this is a really great short. And it's, it's, you know, it's nice because a lot of people make shorts and they, they, they try and make something that feels like a short, like it's not drastically ambitious. It's, it's sort of, it sort of, it's contained. It has the sort of like the twist at the end, but 
you know, it, it, it could be like a good student film or whatever, where I'm only thinking Eddie's actually has its own, its own thing. It feels like a film, um, which is what I always try to do with my shorts was, was basically like make a, a sort of a mini feature or something that had the production values of a feature that, that was like a better calling card. Mm. Cause it's so hard with a short to do a beginning, middle and end. It, it really difficult. That's why a lot of people don't do it. Cause you're like, well, is it going to be good mm. enough? But yeah. sometimes it's like, well, why are you doing it? Mm. Yeah. Are you doing it to win awards because your short's the best in the world? Or are you doing it as a calling card? You're mm. doing it to showcase your directing skills or mm. the cinematography mm. or the story. And then you've got to think about those things. And if it's all of them, great, try it. But it's so hard to try and get a short that ticks all those boxes. Yeah, I, I found the biggest challenge with the short was being told by everyone that it needs to be as short as possible. Yeah, yeah. I hate otherwise, that, yeah. otherwise you won't get, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, that, that's always the um, into festivals and yeah, stuff, which yeah. isn't the case because, you know, a lot is you, you need to make the film that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the other thing is, yeah, as you say, sort of getting people to care about your characters Mm. And have them go through enough to, uh, uh, to to in that short period of time to to make it worthwhile. That that's that was the biggest challenge there, which we sort of worked mm, that quite hard short on. Short period of time, nice. And it was about seventeen <laughs> minutes, according 16, to sixteen. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. right. yeah, yeah. I, I I had the same thing actually. Like I I'd done a film that was just over fifty minutes, and, and everyone's like, we have to do it fifteen minutes for the for the you know for the short film festivals and this and that. It's like, well, yes, if you specifically want to enter certain festivals, then mm. yeah. But you know, it's the same with feature films. Like the amount of times when you send a script through and they're like, no, it has to be this number of pages, like without even reading the thing. Yeah. And, and they're like, you're, they're trying to sort of fit you into a box. And it's like, the, 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 yes, don't faff around. Don't take more time than you need to. Mm. But the story is as long as the story needs to be. Yeah, and exactly. I like that you sort of yeah. held, held that principle. And cheers, man. Mm. I kind of held that principle on everything, really. Because mm. like even... I mean, I, I've always wanted to be a, uh, a director ever since I was like, well, I say this for, like romantically ever since I was five. Wow. I, have, I have no idea if, I, if it was, but I, I think, wanted it, to be an I think it was. <laughs> um, Still do. I, so my dad took me to see Spartacus when I was five. Oh, right. wow. Yeah, which is quite intense mm. um, mm -hmm. for a five-year-old to yeah. see Kubrick. Um, and I turned up to school the next day. I am Spartacus. Um, <laughs> and yeah. all the other kids are going, what's yeah. wrong with this? Yeah, Did you like, slay oh, any children? Again. Again. <laughs> he has no friends for a reason. Um, but, um, but from a uh, like five-year-old, yeah, it, like you say, you, you had the passion to say, this could be something I might want to do. Yeah. Yes. But still going to do it. When was the moment that you went, oh, okay, I can see a career path here. Do you remember it? Probably when I was one? well, probably when I was on set shooting no <laughs> the feature film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> up until that point, it was always like I, I hope it will happen one mm. day, and it's like mm. oh, this is this is happening. You know, mm. I um, felt the same yeah. I, until yeah. I was on set the day. I still was like oh, I'm dreaming, I'm pretending. It's imposter syndrome, it's which, imposter. Like, which is which is totally. I think is a very valuable thing to have mm. imposter syndrome, and I hope I never lose it, and I'm sure I won't because I I mean I still kind of uh feel like an imposter as a functioning you know human mm -hmm. adult with two mm. kids like i'm like oh my god am i doing this <laughs> let alone when you're on set and i think that kind of nervous energy and excitement mm. feeds in to everyone else yeah. as long as it's sort of in control and <laughs> that doesn't come across too much to the finances but yeah. to, to everyone else because it it means everyone's excited and you're kind of on edge enough yeah to, to do a good job you know and i, and I think i think having that self-critique is absolutely important because like the kind of films that that suck tend to be ones where the filmmaker has just sort of lost that restraint or self-critique 
Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where they look at the script and they're like, oh, well, there's a plot hole there, but it'll be fine. You know, or we can remove this bit and we'll put in a funny laugh because that's, that, you know, that's a good idea. Uh, and they, they don't have that overall like seeking for perfection that I think a lot of, you know, a lot of us need to have you can um, to be you can fantastic. You feel that in the, in the film, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I mean, I, I never, I sort of, when I look back on it, I can't really imagine going in any other direction, but it was like film was just a, it was a hobby and it was just sort of a huge part of my life. But there wasn't really like anyone at school or college saying you can be a filmmaker. It, it just happened to be that I hated everything else so much. And, and those, those, <laughs> those things were like subjects that I could take and I was good at. And then you just sort of, naturally organically just end up sort of on that path just because you like it and then suddenly you're like oh actually i'm doing this i'm a cameraman now and, mm, and yeah. camera woman or whatever and and then you sort of end up doing it. i mean how did you go from wanting to be in film to actually doing film did you know you wanted to do it at college did you sort of immediately try and go into it, or did, were you sort of forced into other jobs like you know get a real job etc etc um it, it, uh, genuinely, it had always been the dream. I was always kind of like known as like, you know, the guy that kind of, I, I, I'd sort of turned Just down. like the Fablemans. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's based on me more than Spielberg. Um, <laughs> I wish. Um, I mean, you've both got Berg in your, in your that's surname. That's true. Mm. That is, oh yeah. God, the amount of kind of like, oh, Eddie, Eddie Spielberg. He's more Spielberg, like, he's more done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in the family, like, <laughs> very good, very good. Um, no, my family always been very supportive, but but, but that, really, really like, that, that really tickled you. That John one. really enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, my family had been very supportive, but there's there'd always be that kind of like you know I'd do a little I'd film something when I was very very young, and they'd yeah. be like oh, Eddie Spielberg in a kind of lovely supportive mm. but slightly patronising way, yeah. and then be like okay cool, and now can you just film us do the birthday cake? Who's you know? Spielberg now, mum? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. If right, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, take that. <laughs> yeah. no, no, but no, but they're, they're my well, we, I never had to get a real job thing until probably like 2017, where my wife and I we just got married, and it was like you know I, I had a sort of two man band production company with a friend of mine uh, that you know essentially we made really bad business decisions because we mm. both just wanted to make films. Mm. So like when so I actually made my first short film out of body. And it was like, you uh, made it when you're out of body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So out of body was made with uh, TFL. It was like a kind of road awareness piece, oh, yeah. Yeah. but I managed to kind of convince them to just let me make my first short film and serve their needs. But, but mainly because we were like, look, the, the previous thing they'd done was quite sort of preachy and it was a bit sort of, I don't know, it was, it was very much like a, like what not to do um, sort of explanatory video kind of thing. And we were like, well, look, if, if you've got lots and lots of young, um, you know, sort of uh, 16 to 21 year olds watching these events and the events were called Safe Drive, Stay Alive events. And they're really, really important where members of the emergency services would would, would speak to them about, um, you know, the, the real life dangers of, of driving, you know, and just starting to drive and, and all that kind of stuff. And they'd have this video that they'd play that they need an update for. So we were like, well, why don't you make something in the vein of what they would actively watch, you know, in their own time? Like, you know, at that time, I mean, this was 2014. So yes, like Top Boy or Youngers, you know, that TV show is out. Um, why don't we make something that kind of emulates that stuff with, with real characters and, and have, you know, a real story, but obviously you have these really important messages come through. 
that was uh, and they, they they supported us and said yeah so my first short film was you know really well funded by 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 them um mainly in that they gave us all their emergency vehicles which were actually all on they were all on call throughout really? so we had this what this one this yeah. kind of like frozen one take shot thing as we went through all of these um <laughs> went around uh, like what was essentially uh, like a crash scene um and at any point any of those vehicles could have, have gone. Have gone. Oh, yeah, 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 so yeah, it kind yeah, of added to yeah. the to the uh, yeah. get the shot stress. <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously, yeah. for much more important things. Um, but um, anyway, so so that worked really well. Where we sort of asked a client to make mm. us make uh, let, let us make a film. Mm. Then we had a lot of other clients who just wanted us to sell their product. And we're like, yeah, but why don't we just do like this really lovely like opening to Boogie Nights? Have you ever seen the opening to Boogie Nights? <laughs> yeah, it comes down and then we introduce all the characters. Big crane shots. Yeah, 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 they're just like no. Um, so anyway, so at that point we realized, uh, you know, we were staying with my parents at the time trying to save, I was trying to get, I used to be famous made, uh, along with my, uh, producers, uh, Colleen McCarthy and Chris Pensakowski at the time, uh, and co-writer Zach Klein. And it was like, yeah, I, I should probably, probably get a full-time job now. We want to try and get mortgage. And mm -hmm. so that, at that point I actually went in-house somewhere. Um, and the dream died. Well, well, this is the thing. This is what's quite interesting to talk about because the, the dream is kind of, that faith was actually the most important thing because it could easily have done what a lot of other people do, which is you do get that proper job and then you start life and then mm. time goes away. Yeah. And it, it did. I mean, the job I took was, wasn't a nine to five. It was an in-house directing branded content. So mm. it was Which like, is great because you're still doing what you want to do. Exercising the muscle, great clients, yeah. but you lose time. Yeah. Uh, you know, these 14 hour days, sometimes longer than that. Uh, so then how are you going to be creative? So I was like, I need to add more hours in the day. So I would go based on this kind of faith back in the stream. <laughs> go back in time. <laughs> Gotta go back. Um, uh, and I, I'd get good, to work. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'd get to work at, um, I used to be famous was really based on my life as a former boy band member. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I'd go back, I'd, I'd get to work at six, six thirty at yeah. the Starbucks next door and work for two and a half, three hours before work started. And then if I finished at a decent time on the day, I'd go to a cafe after work and then add more time to, to work. No comment. Um, and I'd send it to my co-writer, Zach, uh, who is living in Canada at the time. So then he'd work while I was sleeping and then we kind of, yeah. So I love that because that's <laughs> not next to you. <laughs> <laughs> Which he could have done. Yeah. That's okay too. Very close. You're in. Yeah. But what you did there was you you said and like you say, a lot of people wouldn't do that. They're in that full time job, yeah. doing something they enjoy. Mm. You know, they're not working in a a, a coffee shop uh, or wherever a bank. No disrespect. No disrespect to those people. people. Absolutely. <laughs> but you wanted to be a filmmaker, but yet you were making Lovely stuff. People. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore him for yeah. a little bit. Um, but, you, but you were like, no, no, I need to make films. That's what I want to do. I want to make my features. I want to mm. move forward my mm. career, whether mm. that's TV, film, whatever it is. And you did that by spending more time, you know, you could have been sleeping, you could have been spending time doing other things, yeah. you know, mm. surfing, whatever the hell. And actually you, you have to really push yourself in this industry if you want to be a filmmaker. Yeah, People forget once you've sort of got there and I mean got there there's no ever I don't think ever got there exists I think it's you're on the path mm. uh, okay now you're in with uh, a studio or now you're in with that uh, you're still struggling you still mm. you don't know what's coming around the corner yeah but the point is you're now on that conveyor belt yeah. it's, a, it's a hard mm. balancing act between sort of 
that because there's obviously if you're not earning enough mm-hmm. and you've got loads of free time then you've got the creativity space but then you've got the stress of not having the money mm. but then if you go too far in the other direction you've got like you've got loads of money but you just don't have any mental bandwidth left mm. after doing the job yeah and it, it is that kind of it's that hidden thing that you know like no one really talks about that you kind of have to have a parallel career or something that gives you just enough space that you can kind of push in and, and do the stuff that you need to be doing around it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's always the the hard thing I think. And, and, and it is really important to have that kind of parallel thing that can kind of support your career yeah. rather than sort of, kind of fighting against it. Mm. But when you're being creative in your job anyway, then it's really hard to still mm. be creative in the mornings and evenings. It's yeah. so hard. Well, that's an interesting one because you're right. There is cre- that creative bandwidth, but then there's also, I'm being creative. I'm being paid to be creative for, a client, mm-hmm. right? And and that's cool to be doing that. However, it's much easier to be creative for something that I I want to make yeah. as a film. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so if you if if you can continue that energy and mm. uh, that you put into you know won't name clients' names, but yeah. like a certain thing for them and create a narrative, it's like, well, I could do that. I could just do that over here. You know. Mm. Um, so the parallel job thing is really interesting because mm. you know if you look at filmmakers that are, that are making films for a living they have in between jobs as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. he makes a film every, you know, five, six years or whatever. And he works in a circus or something. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. He works, he works in a coffee it's shop. It's a great show. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but he'll go and make commercials. He'll go and make commercials. And, uh, you know, he does, ama- but, yeah. I mean, obviously he'll do it, you know, uh, by choice, yeah. but, but, He's got to do something in between. Mm. I don't know if it's a financial thing or not, but, yeah, but probably the, is. I mean, it probably right. Is. And and so that's something that that you're that doesn't get spoken about. Mm. You're right, especially when you're coming up. Yeah, you know, and that's what what you guys do I, where, during lockdown. I, I was saying this to to Giles. We don't get paid earlier. for the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> well, then, my, my, point, my point dies then. No, but, you, but for having made ha- making the films, you know, in in this independent way, mm. yeah. you know, showing people that it can be done. There's not mm. just like a certain expected kind of you get your public funding or you get oh, a streamer yeah, yeah, to fund yeah. it. It's like, no, 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 if you want it enough, you can get it made mm. and make something really good, you know? And I think that's genuinely like uh, throughout lockdown when it was the one time where I'd, I'd gone freelance a few months before and we just had uh, our first baby and it was sort oh, of like all, all my commercial work that I spent seven months, you know, freelance yeah, mm. c- mm-hmm. cultivating, that all stopped. Yeah. And it was like, I've got no, I can't support my kid. I've got a film that I've been trying to get made for five, six years that like, let's face it, mm. it isn't getting made ju- any time soon. Yeah, no one's knocking the on the door right to, now. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, world's yeah. gone to, to, to yeah. shit. Um, uh, so, so I was listening to your podcast, you know, and having, you still had that faith and that it really did genuinely like help me, you know, seeing mm. how you guys, mm. um, you know, ha- have that energy uh, and, and, and get things done. Um, and, and then obviously that I, I, I wrote, um, I wrote something new during, during lockdown, which mm. ended up being the thing that got picked up first mm. by Netflix. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, mean, I don't think that faith, I think the faith is like, faith is always there, but then there's all, it, it's more like you just can't give up than actually the faith. Like the faith isn't there every day. Like I think I, I've spoken to so many filmmakers on the you know the film events, the podcast, even like the top people often wake up in the morning. And they think this is never going to happen. Mm. And I think that is something that like a lot of filmmakers live with. Mm. But then there's other days when you have the faith and you're like, yep, this is a possibility. This is a possibility. Yep, we can still do this. It's just the keeping going. I think that's more authentic than than the faith because the faith isn't always there. 
Mm. It's just that you, there's no other option than to keep going because what else would we be doing? And that's why it's important to have more than one film. Yeah. Sometimes you've got one, your faith is all on that and you can yeah. get so disappointed yeah. and feel rejected constantly. Yeah. Whereas if you've got quite a few going and you're spinning a few plates and again, not too many, mm. uh, I've made that mistake before, but if you've got just enough, mm. you yeah. can jump quite happily that one's just drifted but suddenly this one goes yeah. and you get an email back from the first one that you'd yeah. you know you just let let lie and mm. that doesn't feel you you're not the one sending emails going hey guys what's going on hey guys what's going on which yeah. is just annoying for everyone else yeah. you've got to be pushing but you yeah. can't be annoying and it's that fine yeah. balance isn't mm. it when you're trying to make the films mm. so okay so you've now made your short i used to be famous yeah that's how you met dom uh, the superhero that is Dom, oh, the, pun the, star. the pun hero. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, pun hero. So I, I got that totally wrong. I didn't mean to say <laughs> yeah, that. I think superhero. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and that, you know, that show I used to be famous did so well. It, you know, it won many, many awards, tracked so many festivals. Uh, Naomi Aki was in it. Uh, and my mate Tom Bacon was actually. Ah, uh, is that you know Tom? Yeah, yeah. We did a film Bringing together back, back, back when I was acting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, from there, how did it? Develop. Obviously, you made a short before that, and then you made a couple after. But you was we always thinking, I want to turn this into a feature film. Uh, yeah, always. It always felt like it was sort of bursting to kind of you mm. know uh, expand, I guess. And I, that was that was the challenge that we were speaking about before. Is sort of make something contained enough that it is a short film, um, and uh, but 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 strong enough that people will care about the characters mm. whilst being a proof of concept for a feature film. That was, that was the challenge. That was always the thing. And I mean, almost straight after, once the short film was out, I was sort of trying to figure out, you know, how to kind of expand it. And, uh, my co-writer Zach Klein, um, came to me with a few ideas that he had. They were very much in line with what I had. Um, and he, you know, uh, for me, uh, you know, that was a really interesting experience sort of just having that like sounding board straight away and then yeah. obviously a mm. uh, full on co-writer. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it took, it took a while. We, we, we wrote, um, we were outlining for months, which is part of the reason why I brought Zach on board. Cause you know, I, f going back to what we were talking about before, where sort of, there isn't a, a kind of agreed principle on how to do things for me, when it comes to writing, I tend to kind of go opposite the opposite to the craft kind of advice of mm -hmm. like how you know i'd never done an outline before i would just shoot from the hip mm. with my shorts and just yeah, start yeah. writing because yeah. that kind of unlocks it for me mm. i think that's fine with shorts i, I really yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly I, with shorts exactly that's why i needed him as a as a co-writer um for the feature for the feature yeah, because well. you, I, I i knew that i would just go down you have the ability to just rip it up and start again mm. with a short with a feature you could spend like months and then have to start again you <laughs> that's know? nothing worse yeah so well, getting to page, yeah getting to page 70 and mm. going oh my my god yeah what do i do because i hadn't written out the 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 treatment i hadn't blocked it like mm. you know and sometimes i'm really now going to real detail yes okay this scene we'll talk about that this scene we'll talk about that this is good and even start you know almost a scriptment yeah and i did that on the last film that i wrote and i really enjoyed that you know i wrote that with someone else and i really really enjoyed doing that mm. really getting into detail before into the weeds because otherwise you get stuck yeah. I, I hate getting stuck i mm. I, I agreed i agree to a degree which degree um, I mean, I used to, I used three to, degrees or yeah, maybe, maybe like third degree, yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a burn. Oh God! <laughs> um, I agree to a degree. I mean, like some stuff, having the outline and knowing the ending, especially, yes. is very, very important. Yeah. But other times, sometimes you kind of like. I mean, there's there's one project. I'm not going to go into what the project is, but there's one project where we ha we just created the world so vividly and intensely it's Jurassic Park 3 wasn't it's it it's Jurassic Park 3 yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, we, we, we created the world so vividly and intensely in yeah. the characters. And we had so many ideas that it, it was just brimming from, you know, brimming to go, basically. Mm. And we just started writing it. And, we, you know, we kind of formed the whole thing. And it was just sort of going in this momentum and this, you know, this pace. And then we got to the end and, and you know, we looked at it and we we're like, okay, yeah, the front end needs work and then we sat down we we're like okay we're going to restructure the front end like mm -hmm. we're going to take these scenes out and then we sort of did that process of doing it. but then there was a large percentage of the script that was like really really in a good place and and then there's other projects where you you sort of write and then you get to the end and it's like it's waffle and it doesn't mm -hmm. go anywhere and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't so i think it does depend on how much ideas you've got for what you want to do and what your writing process is and who's mm -hmm. your writer if you've got a writer that can work from a template, definitely do the template. Yes. But if you're doing it yourself and, and sometimes you've just got this bubbling of ideas and you're willing to go back to it afterwards, sometimes it does work that way. You just know that you've got to do that work afterwards and you will probably mm. have to maybe lose a third of it or do a lot of rewrites on it. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's in it, you make a very good point because I've experienced both and mm. haven't made my mind up yet because I'm writing my second feature now mm. and we spent many months outlining mm. and i'm very happy that we've done that mm. when i'm when i because i've literally got like this happens in this scene great and i can just kind of yeah dialogue dialogue the shit out of it which is my the thing that i find most fun when writing but when you're in that when you're in the weeds mm -hmm. i don't find it, it i don't find it that enjoyable um you're i guess that's a good thing because you, you're really striving for it to make as much sense as possible and be as exciting as possible and in a way, if you're talking about a certain scene without writing it, it, it should be quicker, really. You get further quicker having not had to write the scene. But I, I do find that so much creativity comes just whilst you're writing it mm. that you're almost not battling against the outline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But kind of. Uh, and, and again, I guess that's a good thing. Mm. But, I, but it, it's sort of to get to to where I am now, it did take quite a lot of, you know, tearing my hair out and all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe, maybe because for me, writing doesn't come as naturally. I think mm. directing is always the thing I yeah, wanted yeah. to do. And then, then it became writing and then I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, but, it's because yeah. you're kind of writing out necessity yeah. because you want to direct. A lot Otherwise of people, you've yeah, got to someone else's first. script or yeah. bring another it's, writer in, mm. et cetera. It's probably the thing that came last to me was, was actually being able to write, you know, mm. you know good, good sort of writing. And I think it sort of comes from reading lots of scripts, yeah. mental maturity, like- And you doing know, it. Un understanding yeah. and, do and doing it, yeah. But I mean, I, I used to, I mean, another thing I would do with writing is if I did have the outlines or I knew certain scenes, some scenes I just didn't know how to write. So I, I knew what would happen in the, the scene. So sometimes I'd just write a description- Love that, you know, or yeah. A or a paragraph or two yeah. mm -hmm. as a placeholder. Mm. Um, I knew roughly what needed to happen. I might not even have, you know, quite the small dot for that little connecting bit in the, the two scenes afterwards, but I knew something big had to happen by this point, and then this starts from here. Yeah. And I'd write this scene ahead, and I'd write this theme, scene behind, and I'd, I'd sort of think about those connecting bits, but I'd just leave it in the back of my mind, and I'd carry on. And that can work very well as a sort of intermediate way of doing it as well. Mm. Um, sometimes you just can't write a scene at that time. I totally mm. agree with you. Mm. That's a great way to do it. Just write a description. To mm. That's totally fine. Because yeah. when you come back to it in however long later, you go, mm. oh, I know what it is now. Yes. Yeah. And the same with dialogue. You know, mm. there was one uh, really important speech in uh, the last film I've written. Um, myself and Noel just wrote 
in there, really important speech. This <laughs> yeah. will be funny. Yeah. This will be that. And that's it. We just uh, left none it for of ages. Things, none, it ended <laughs> yeah. up being none of these things. Just totally cut it. <laughs> but that's yeah. it's the speech that people talk about as yeah. well. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not just that. But and I find that that's really fascinating that you that we were so struggling. We knew it was important. We knew it was that yeah. we just went, let's leave it. Leave let's it, leave yeah. it. Let's ignore it. There was two of them. We just went, let's leave both Wait, of so them. So then when Come did you write did you write it during workshopping or kind of did you get when did you get to it? After we'd literally done about- He still hasn't, it's just- No, <laughs> yeah. But we'd done about four or five drafts when we were already sending oh, okay. it to so, people. So that, oh, wow, okay. So it was, this is, we know yeah. we need to, and then I just, one day just went, I need to write it. And, yeah. and it just all came splurging out. So my first film, you know, there's a lot of music in it. And my next film, there'll be a lot of music in it as well. So I have to write, you know, I I, I was very lucky to work with um, Dan Rothman and Hannah Reed from London Grammar um, and, and my composer, uh, David Saunders, on the music for I Used To Be Famous. Uh, you know, just really, really lucky. I was a big fan of London Grammar and it was like a dream to be working with them. And yeah. David, would, I worked with on the short. I had to write in the script something where it's sort of just sort of like, this is going to be a great track, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, no pressure composer. Amazing. So yeah. I, and I'm kind of doing that again with this one as well, but there's the, it, it does feel a bit weird to be like, you know, and then he starts to, you know, sing and the lyrics will, are about this because mm. the lyrics are so important. Yes. Um, so I, I, I find when it comes to stuff like that, or when it comes to like the harder scenes to get through, you just need to get, through it, <laughs> do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. In any way that you can, and even, even if, if you write it badly, exactly. That that's what I found with this one. Like yeah. probably one hundred percent of it is bad at the moment. But no, as I'm going through, it's sort of I'd rather just go through it, go through it, even if I know that it's not going to be great because I'm it's going to have another pass mm. and then another pass before anyone sees it. You know, mm. I say that, and then my my producers when they read it will be like, "Have you done any other passes apart from the yeah, bad yeah. pass?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Let's let's uh, let's jump into making mm. I used to be famous. Then you know, going from that short, which did extremely well, you're now you're now on the path to sort of go. Okay, I want to turn it into a feature. Mm. How did you do that? Because that's what a lot of people want to know. How did you actually turn that? Like I say, you start the writing process. You you're working with your pal, and now what? Uh, who? How did you actually move it forward? So a lot a lot of the things that I find that people when I speak to young filmmakers that it, it doesn't occur to a lot of them is actually uh, the producers you're working with. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people like to, you know, they feel like that, that they're going to have to do it all themselves. Mm -hmm. And I always find that it's sort of, if you take too much on, you know, and, and you think, yeah, I can get, I'll just get it made. I'll borrow a few things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's a little bit dangerous because obviously sometimes you have to do that, you know, um, but you need to be focusing on the writing and directing if you're writing and directing it that's you, you need someone that is going to be better than you producing it trying to get it made i'm sure when you're out and about and you have conversations you'll do a bit of that as well but you need someone that wants to produce producing for you and that will take you a lot further i think um so anyway for me uh working with so chris pensakovsky who produced the short he he was producing the feature at that time uh, and we Great. brought in collie mccarthy who was a filmmaker uh, producer that i was very impressed with um uh, and he had some great ideas as well so chris and collie were um uh, and then obviously zach klein my co-writer we were the kind of the nucleus at that point and we just started writing and working on it and sending it to them so I sent it to my agent um and she, she's always been great with feedback and then we brought on isabella rodoffin who is our casting director mm -hmm. and so colin mccarthy had worked with her on his um on a short that he'd done were you paying anyone at this point so 
at that point, there uh, was there any funding or anything. There was anyone? no funding at that point. Okay. We, we 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 were we knew that there was there was some legs to it because any in any conversation there was always you know something more than just sort of like a dismiss a dismissal. Mm. Isabella, you know got sent a lot of scripts, you know, um, and she really valued it. And and then we also got, um, I think, what was the funding we got that before we wrote the script, we were selected last 20 for Creative England eye features. Oh, for the eye I, features. I, I think it was, yeah. Okay, great. Which we didn't get. But, uh, but, but, but we were not so great. <laughs> so no, we didn't get funding. But but there oh, was okay. there was a confidence that it was like who's laughing now? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're out of business. So yeah, uh, I didn't want to go there. But so so then we so anyway so actually that year I think they did like Lady Macbeth and um, uh, uh, yeah. God's Own Country. So they did yeah. pretty, pretty good nah. choices. Yeah. Oh, I used to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Mackie's in Lady Macbeth. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, so so no, there wasn't funding for the first couple of years, and then we put our, a little bit of our own money in for casting because it became quite clear mm. uh, casting and also um, script development. So mm. we started working with a really talented uh, producer who, who uh, and script developer, um, uh, Ed Clark, mm. uh, through Collie's connections at Shoebox. Mm. Um, Collie was working at Joe Wright's production company, Shoebox, for a few years. He really took it to another level for us. There were some big conversations that took place where, mm. you know, certain characters would just take them out and hone it and, and, you know, so we had a great chat with him. Always recommend, you know, script editors and script developers, uh, well, script editors essentially. We So we had a little bit of our own money for him, a little bit of our own money for, for an initial search for Stevie. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of put that into the kind of deal that we would eventually get. So that kind of helped with the whole faith and belief of, course, of development, it development, mm. development yeah. part. Yeah. Mm. Which is great. And uh, interestingly, your, the short itself though was Funded by BFI, is that right? Part, yeah, part funded. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Film London Film, on their summer right. exposure, London calling. Right, and was that you just applying? Yes. Yeah, so Chris Pensakowski, uh, my producer uh, for the short, he sent it off. We got down to the last. I think it was like ten, and then three were fund. Got a little bit of money from them, basically. But the main thing with, with that stuff, when you know, if you're lucky enough to get public funding, mm. I find is actually just being plugged into that world because you get support from you know the the people that are you know high up in film london and bfi mm. and stuff and it's just being able to have those kind of contacts and i think something we touched on in the kitchen before we started um mm. recording is that you know it was a great pre-chat it was is that which is always sometimes the way is that we <laughs> you know the fact is that there's a lot of people being on this podcast but not many of them have had any kind of funding mm. and that's i think interesting in terms of the whole indie filmmaking world and short filmmaking world and and what, how what blood sacrifices did you have to make to oh, get the yeah, well, it's, <laughs> things like that and this how definitely become explicit this yeah, yeah. and how certain people you know get that chance and it's often it's usually the writing it's mm. usually the project it's usually that that helps yeah okay so okay so now you're in you're in you're in that group you're in that world of public funding were they interested in the feature from then obviously because it had done well had they talked to you about it they don't always like stuff that does well. It's amazing, that, isn't <laughs> it? Like, this, is, this is too commercial for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. That's the conversation. We don't want to succeed. <laughs> Actually, that probably is a conversation. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, no, we, we're we, like we, things no one sees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, so that side of things, we spend... I mean, that, that's the thing with filmmakers, is, it, you know, everyone kind of thinks, like, if you don't get public funding... 
it's going to be very hard to do. It is. Uh, <laughs> yes. It, you're not going to, sorry, you're not going to do it. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. what a lot of people do think. There's sort of like... Some, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there are some people that are like, oh, I haven't been handed my public funding for my feature. I can't <laughs> believe I haven't been handed my public funding for yeah. my feature. And they're, and they're like, they're just expecting this handout. And they're like, well, most people have to just suffer and sacrifice and like find a way to put it together themselves. Yeah. And that's what this yeah. podcast has proved that over this mm. time, like say, there's not that many people have the public funding, mm. but yet so many people have succeeded. Yeah, And people have gone out there and raised funds and spoken to investors and working out the IMs and working out yeah. how their the waterfall happens. Yeah. You know, they've not left it to a public funder. or no, I say left it to, I mean, hey, I'd love to be in that world yeah, mm. yeah. but no, if, you, if you want it enough and you believe in your project enough mm. and and also there's being pragmatic about it as well it's sort of well maybe this isn't the right project for now yeah exactly. maybe I, I mean to be honest that was the initial uh thought process behind the the new thing i'm writing now it was sort of like well it's actually pitching i used to be famous you know obviously seeing it now it feels like an easy pitch but actually it, it's not um an easy to pitch genre. You know, mm. it's not, this is a horror, this is a comedy, sure. which a lot of the time is the thing that people are after. You know? Know. Well, it's yeah. kind of almost in the musical bracket as well. Yeah, music, drama, comedy, it's mm. kind of, you know, and so I could see why it took took a while having not had any track record mm. of making features. Um, but music track record. Music track record of making features, not one of the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, you know, we had belief because every time it would go out to industry, every time we made a change, you know, Ed Clark didn't need to spend his time on it, but he obviously believed in the project enough to 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 mm. to, to work on it. Mm. And then we we it, it was sort of improved, and then it went out again. And then um, we were lucky enough to get executives on board. Uh, Damien Jones, who mm. one of you know the best producers in the country, absolutely. So Damien Jones uh, produced things like The Iron Lady and, mm. you know, lots of big, big films and uh, and very supportive of up and coming filmmakers as well. Paul Grindy as well, you know, really uh, well well thought of um, executive producer in the, indus in the industry. Mm. So these people are starting to be attached to the package and, and then, you know, people start to hear about it and um, now with a bit more value attached to it. So- Is this before Netflix came on? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. so, th so this is around sort of, 2018, 2019, you know, and we started to look at kind of talent at that point, because again, the hardest thing is to try to, you know, with no track record is to try and like make it as easy to fund as possible mm -hmm. for finances, as you, as you guys know. Yeah. Uh, and then lockdown hit. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, that was the one time where I was sort of like, maybe this isn't going to happen or, or, or maybe it will be mm. later you know, but, but I never once thought whether we made it for millions or thousands or hundreds, it was going to happen at some point, but then mm. lockdown here. Um, and that was when I started writing this new thing, which I'd already been thinking about before. Um, but just, yeah, I, with that, with no income coming in for, um, you know, and, mm. and my wife on mat leave, yeah. uh, and all my, you know, um, daytime work being cancelled as a freelancer, falling through the cracks, you know, no furlough, which I'm sure so many people listening to this uh, will, will relate to. Totally, yeah. I was like, well, what's the thing that I need to like generate, you know, opportunities now. And like you were saying before about having other stuff on your slate, mm. something new that you don't think is going to happen might just suddenly surprise mm. you and get picked up. So I ended up on not much sleep, um, you know, with the newborn starting to write this new thing, which I can't really mention the title mm. just yet, but it's sure. a kind of music thriller. I used to be a vampire. Ah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Dancing Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> played by Nick Cage. No, he's already, he's he's already, already doing yeah. it. He's doing it. Yeah. Damn, we missed the boat. Damn, I knew there was something. <laughs> can't wait for that. And then started writing that. I actually started writing that as a, uh, as a pilot. And then I'd been chatting to 
few different producers, you know, and, and uh, just about this new thing, you know, obviously mm -hmm. I, I wanted to work with them. So at that point, Colin McCarthy was the sole producer on, uh, on I Used to Be Famous. And obviously I wanted to work with him on this next thing, but also chatting and meeting other people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one of those people ended up um, becoming uh, just a, a very, very important kind of uh, figure at Netflix. So having had discussions before with that person, right. there was already interest there. Mm. So I just needed to like reach reach them again. But mm. obviously every other filmmaker in the UK was probably trying to reach mm. them have it once they saw the press release. Yeah. Um, and then we did start talking and then the conversation was about whether this thing could actually be a film rather than the pilot. And it was always meant to be a film. So you're now in the room. You're now yes. you, you're pitching these projects and they're talking to you. Uh, the mockumentary, the room? Yes, yes. <laughs> but then they're talking to you about potential other projects. Is mm. this, talk, talk us through that moment when, you know, I used to be famous, actually, you know, you got the green light. Yeah, it was kind of um, an out-of-body experience, mm. um, <laughs> uh, wow. to name a really unfamous short film that no one's seen. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, actually quite a few people have seen it on the safe drive, so like, I, I digress, I digress. So we were talking about this new thing. In that conversation, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've got this thing that we've been trying to make for, you know, I think probably at that point, it was like five years at that point. Right. You know, it's ready to go. It's been through so much development. It's like got, you know, Ed Clark's been on it. I've got Isabella Dauphin. I've got mm. these, you know, great uh, exec producers. And it's, this is like ready to go. And I'm just there in the, all the conversation. I'm just kind of like, yeah, you yeah, know, I, I, this new thing I'm really excited about too. Like, great. Mm. Let's talk about it. Let's make it work for you. And then the right moment came where it was like, while we're here, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a project. And I don't know if they uh, read it before or whether, you know, but, but the, it was given to them with a view to just having a new kind of, you know, head on it, just reading. And by uh, them, you mean? Uh, there's Netflix. Yeah. And then I got a call from my agent about, sort of about a week and a half later. Um, and it was really funny. I was on the phone out. Uh, I was on the phone to her outside because uh, it was just such a, big kind of moment um and the baby was sleeping could not risk the baby waking up and ruining this moment for me um uh and and it was like they netflix want to do both films uh and Whoa. yeah after wow. all of that ludicrous yeah it was pretty mad like to go from you know being honest it was like the worst moment in my entire life like in lockdown mm. uh to to you know the second best after my kid being born. I'm glad I managed to make yeah, sure that you've was turned the, it around. Uh, yeah, yeah, still married. <laughs> still married. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, it was it was yeah mind blowing because it was sort of yeah it was just everything I wanted for so many years and never yeah. thought would happen. Really, what do you think it was about the pitch that worked? Why was it suddenly they went yeah we'll have both? Do you think there was anything you did? Do you think there was anything that our filmmakers mm. listening would go, all oh, right, I could have done that or I should have done that? Uh, I think it's being in the room. And the the most important thing is once you're in the room is just yeah. showing the ultimate passion yeah. and knowing, like making, the, even though you've not made a film before, like making sure that they know as well as you know that they're in good, this is in good hands yeah. and it's going mm. to be great. That yeah. That's what you got to, you got to have that yeah. genuine belief, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, I think that was the main thing. But to get in the room, you know, yeah, it's all about it. For, what I would say is it like, again, in our, did you, did you meet in, in person or did you do Zooms or? So uh, this was Zooms at the time, yeah. but we'd met before. So, so uh, yeah, that really does help. Yeah. It helps a bit. So the hustle, basically, mm. you mm. have to be able to hustle on all kind of angles, you know, when it mm. comes to, well, hustle might not be the right word, but, but you know, just basically be at 100% going for it when it comes to writing the script, 100% mm. going for it when it comes to making it better. 
uh, when it comes to meeting people, when it comes to telling people about it, when it comes to, you know, mm. you've just got to be kind of spreading it as much as possible. Um, and I think I'd met this person because I went to an event, um, made sure I spoke to people there. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, you don't want to like force things too much when you're in, but when, you know, if you're in a room where there's filmmakers and there's financiers and stuff, you need to take advantage of that opportunity mm. and at least get to chat to the people. Yes. Um, you don't want to just be like, ah, oh, you know, elevate pitch straight away. You play right. it, you play it cool, but you just, just meet them. And right. at, once you make contact with someone, having an email from someone that has already met you, mm. it's it not a cold email anymore. No, you know? no, yeah. Um, That's really so, yeah. important. That. And, and again, a lot of filmmakers out there go, look, I struggle with that. I struggle with networking events. Dom even said at the beginning, look, mm. I don't really like it, but you have to play the game. Yeah. You have to do it because yeah. those, those people aren't going to knock on your door. Mm. Why would they? You know, yeah. you, all right, you might make a short that breaks out and you're reclusive and they're going to come and meet us. Sure, maybe. But reality is that's one in what, 100,000. Mm. Yeah. So you've got to be knocking on the door. And like you said, you Absolutely. were in the right place talking to the right people and then you sent a follow-up email. Yeah. Which then led into, all right, we'll get you in the room on probably the strength of your work and your writing and your award-winning shorts. So did you send them the pitches before you spoke to them or did, did you say, can we have a conversation? Well, because I'd already spoken to the person at Netflix before and they'd already read oh. stuff. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. At that point, yeah, you know, that was... But but in terms of getting into other rooms, I mean, the, the other thing I find is is just, you know, the whole world of having a producer that sends stuff yeah. and because suddenly mm -hmm. it's a bit more legitimate than... Yeah, sending yourself. Sending yourself. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. solicited, you know, that, and it is mm -hmm. really important, um, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, since the film came out, it's quite interesting because... You know, you, you like. There's quite a lot of messages. I, I, I I'm gonna like invite so many like messages now. It's quite hard, you know, to get back to sort of DMs where someone wants to like send you a script. You can't mm. really engage because you're not protected. Mm. Whereas if someone sends something to to my uh, my mm. agent mm. and they have even whether they have a producer or not, but it's mm. gone through that channel, you take it a lot more seriously. You yeah, know, you look at it. You know, um, mm. so I think that's it. I think you need to be. It's interesting because we're talking about the hustle and, and getting there and taking advantage of stuff, mm. but it's also, there's certain ways of doing it that, you know, you, you will be taken more seriously, mm. you know, if you go through certain channels. But I think if you're in any room with anyone, you you need to go for it and chat mm. to someone. Yeah, for sure. Great. Love it. Uh, so you, you talked about casting a little bit earlier. Did casting make a difference here? Because you've got Ed Scrine on, you know, who's yeah. known for Deadpool. He's... He's, he's a wonderful actor. Amazing, yeah. Amazing human being as well. I oh, mean, great. Yeah, we. I mean, having Netflix. Boy, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, Imagine. absolutely. For my first film, I was so lucky. I mean, you know, I got told by so many of the, car, uh, so many of the, the crew, it's kind of like, you don't realize how lucky you are to have your first <laughs> film. Like, everyone's such a legend. Like, <laughs> you know, Eleanor Matsura, you know, Ed Scrine, Leo Long, you know, we all became great very cast. close. Yeah. Um, and obviously the other uh, support uh, actors as well. Um, but yeah, the, so having Netflix on board at that point, being able to go to to someone like Ed Scrine. Oh, so that was so Netflix came on board. Then you got the cast. Wow, we, the, it's interesting. Uh, so did you, did you just talk? Did you just talk to oh. the agents and say we've got Netflix funding it, and that's it. So at that time, yeah, we we our casting director went to the went to the agent, and Ed read it. Uh, and we met very quickly because it just, it spoke to him. I think he actually saw the short and he just, you know, Ed has done so many, he's such a great actor that he's, he actually hadn't done anything in his own accent 
since Ill Manners. Mm. Oh, right. He'd done so, you know, he'd worked Barry Jenkins on Bill mm. Street. He'd worked right, you know, yeah. Deadpool and stuff. Mm. Um, and I think it, it spoke to him. It just, there was a reflection of London in the short that really spoke to him mm. uh, and, and, and in the script as well. And yeah, I think with Ed, we, you know, we'd seen him play these, you know, great kind of uh, antagonists, you know, in, in most of the stuff that he's played. Mm-hmm. Um, and we met him because obviously with Vince, there's there's definitely, there's a bit of bite there, but there's this warmth that we need. We need to be with Vince. And mm. as soon as we met Ed, you know, he's one of the warmest guys I've ever met and mm. such a talented actor, so dedicated. You know, he learned to sing for the for the role. Wow. I mean, it, wow, he's you decent. Know, you know, he's, uh, he's he was amazing. I, the, with Vince, we wanted him to be a relatable singer, someone mm. that, that that could. I actually like the idea of like an Ian Curtis or like a Jim Morrison, someone that kind mm. of like had the deep, speaky mm. type of singing. Yeah. Um, because it kind of fit that synth wave type of thing. Um, and he learned to do that. He learned to play piano, uh, learned to play synth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was amazing. But, d- but to have that access to cast like him and like Eleanor Matsura, who, you know, was working in The Walking Dead at the time and mm-hmm. with the having that kind of Netflix backing and mm. casting uh, director and producer working really hard to try and get her over here during COVID yeah. for the time that she was here um, was amazing. And the crew as well, you know, having access to just like top tier talent. Um, you know, my DOP Angus Hudson had just worked with Sophia Loren on the life ahead. Mm-hmm. So I, it was dreamland to be able to do that. Mm. Yeah. Totally. But did Netflix put all the money in? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's a Netflix original, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but still, sometimes yeah. I don't know. They might have said, "Oh, we're putting in a third, or we're putting in, you know, three quarters," yeah, well, and therefore you need to find the right. Re- I don't know. I mean, the, the lucky thing about having not raised any money for it up until that point <laughs> was uh, that they they could basically make it a Netflix original. But but I think um, I think they do do co pros and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with this, it was it was great, and the experience was amazing. Once Netflix came on board, um, you know that we we were able to to look at each area of the film mm. and just give it exactly what it needed i mean you know i never thought i'd be able to get the soundtrack that i'd spent years mm, yeah. fantasizing about on the spotify playlist you know <laughs> when i was at you know doing my day jobs and stuff like but we were able to get ex- every song that we wanted to get mm. and it was amazing um and and that just goes throughout you know we we got what was absolutely needed without losing a sense of you know the type of film we wanted to make and this comes from uh, the power of the script, the, the skill of you as a director, your team, and your pitch, obviously. Thanks, man. But it must have done because there's there's no these you know big companies like this don't just go yeah cool here you go we're going to make this. So it, there has to be something that you deliver. There's something when you're in the room that they go yeah I trust this person. You know you're not made a feature before and Netflix mm. going yeah let's make a Netflix original with this guy. That's that says something about you. You know what I mean? it really does because this doesn't happen every day. Thanks. No, cheers. Um, I will tell myself that when I'm wiping nappies and I'm kind of like, <laughs> with my babies but maybe there's people listening going, ah, he deserves this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, no, no, that, I appreciate that. But I, I think there's more, I think there's timing, you know, mm. and, and what's the saying? I always get it wrong when I say it. it's like, you know, uh, luck plus what's the equation? Telling yourself plus in putting the... yourself out there and make, yeah. yeah, you yeah kind of... Luck's like being in the room enough times to have that luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's chance. Yeah. yeah, all of it. Yeah, it's a mix. It's You've got to make probabilities of luck. You, you, yeah. Exactly. You, you you make your own luck to an extent, but mm. then there's also certain things that are out of your control, like people being put in certain positions or people you've met and mm. uh, timing and what people are looking for and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. But it all it's all all generated from that gut feeling of like yeah. passion of like you need to know this thing is 
great. It's you know? like, yeah. So like I, I was um, there. There was someone that I wanted to meet, uh, like like in, in the film world. I won't sort of go into who who it was, but I'd, I'd already met them before. But it was in like a it was in a sort of a, an opportunity where I didn't have the t- chance to chat, and there was going to be like a Q and A screening where I could meet them, and I was like, well, no one's around to go to go to um, you know to this with me, um, but if I go, there might be a chance to to have a chat afterwards. Person didn't turn up. <laughs> oh, shame. <laughs> but those are the kind of things where, you know, <laughs> you, you do, <laughs> you, that could have gone the other way. Those are the times when you might meet that person. Or someone else. Mm. Or, or someone else. And you might just have that informal, I mean, that's why I always, you know, I think screenings are a great pl- place to, to meet anyone. Like, I, I think they're mm-hmm. some of the best networking of events rather than like these kind of booze and schmooze events where you just chuck everyone into a loud, noisy, drunk environment and everyone's like shouting and trying to pitch something. Yeah. Go to something where you actually want to, you know, maybe not the filmmakers of the film, but you're just interested in the film itself. And that, you can, might, spark a conversation and that can spark a conversation with people there. You, yeah. you might meet someone that's also doing some great stuff or you might speak to someone on the team uh, mm. but you have to be in those scenarios to to try and do that and i, I yeah. think those are nice situations because they're a bit more quiet they're a bit more intimate there's mm-hmm. not millions of people around and it's, yes. it's a bit more like you know just people having a chat about film so, yeah. definitely but but also i find you know filmmakers especially ones that i've met from sort of our generation are very willing to kind of advise and help people. I, I, I love to mm-hmm. chat to people that, you know, young filmmakers that are up and coming and, and just telling my experiences. Um, and I think I think if you reach out in a way that's just very honest and very, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like, you're not trying to sell them anything. It's just like, mm-hmm. look, this is me. Um, uh, I'd love to get your advice. I really like your film and, and mm-hmm. this is why I liked it. You know, the other thing is you kind of feel when it's like a blanket thing. It's mm-hmm. like, you've, they've, I'm like one of like 20 filmmakers that they've sent the thing to it's like no you you know yes. it's, it, i find yeah. it's the same thing yes sir uh, madam but um <laughs> but it's the same with anyone i think that you're uh well, the other thing i meant about that is actually once you're chatting to a filmmaker uh and getting advice then you know you put yourself out there when they're making their next film mm-hmm. check in with them they might get you in on set and suddenly you're like you got access to a Netflix film, you know, um, same with like the producers that you get on board when you're, you know, crewing or when you want to, well, way before crewing, but when you're putting to uh, trying to get your project made, you know, reach for the producers that, that are kind of coming up mm. that you can see are plugged in that you like their stuff of. Like mm. if you look at like, you know, Screen International Stars of Tomorrow. Which you are one of them. Thank you very much. I didn't say that just so that you would say that, but I'm glad that you did now. But if, but, but if you do look for, at that... For clarity, uh, he was kicking him under the table. Yeah. <laughs> say it, say it. There's your £10. No, but like, if you look at the producers on there, they're all doing amazing stuff um, and they're all plugged in and they're all on, the, on their way up. Try and reach out to people like that. Try and reach out to people who are BAFTA Breakthrough Brits and just get advice because... Obviously, these people will be busy, but they're not going to be as busy as like, I don't know, um, or Damien Jones or, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think, I think, and and especially, but you when you do approach these people, they will be able to feel if it is a blanket kind of thing of like, mm. you're in the industry, I need contacts. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It needs to be, I really loved that film because of this. Correct. I'm making this type of film. Yeah. Can you advise me a little bit? And yeah. people will want to help you, I mm. think. Yeah, I like that. Part. Speaking of advice, when you made I Used to Be Famous, you know, moving into your second film now, what will you take from that first film? I think the main thing for me is actually trusting your gut, actually, at all times. Like, I know we mentioned about it before. Mm. I think sometimes I would, 
overthink a couple of things. Most mm. of the time you kind of have to just go with your gut because just time. And also having made it, I think in pre-production. Having made it. <laughs> He's made it now. <laughs> Look at this guy. Definitely, definitely not that. Screen star tomorrow. Then. Yeah. Check out the big balls on Brett. Um, yeah. <laughs> having made the having made the film, um, you know, I think in pre-production, it's so important that you have. I mean, you guys will know this, right? Like, there's conversations. There's conversations that you wish you had had yeah. when you're on set on the day, yeah. and it's like, if only I just had five minutes mm. to chat about this tiny part detail you know it would be that would be very valuable so i think for me every, when you're meeting your hod's just going through every single thing like mm. to the minutia mm. and getting that chat in in pre-production because actually you'll always intend to do it but some things could potentially get missed mm. um yeah that's the main thing i kind of would like yeah to i like that i think mm. that's really important well, what about you what, what did you guys learn on your after your first one oh my nothing God, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, i think i mean i think one of the main ones was it was like a mental thing about shorts to features. Um, I mean, it's, it's not the same because I'd already done a couple of features, but it, it was, it, I suppose it was the first big feature and that was like this, this impossible goalpost. And it was just realizing that actually it is exactly the same as a short in a sense that you are just getting through, you know, you just, you just break it down. Okay. This is the scenes I need to do before lunch. I've got to finish this scene first. Then I've got to finish these five scenes or, or you know, what three scenes or whatever. Then I'm finishing the day and then it's on to the next day. The only thing that's different with a feature is that you've just got to remember your character arcs, um, you know, in terms of where they are in the story. That's mm. the only difference and you're there for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is, you know, it, it is one of those things. But I, I think getting actors into locations would be a really useful thing to, to know before because there, there's a lot of stuff where cinematography had been planned in advance and mm. then the actors were like well this doesn't quite work for what i wanted to do or it didn't work for what i wanted to do or it looked a bit staged or whatever mm. and i think i think sort yeah. of knowing knowing the spaces in advance um you know and and having the time to sort of get the rehearsal maybe in the place or or at least have the actors know the place beforehand before sort of locking in all the the visual stuff yeah because that, that's a huge waste of time when you you know you get them in they're like, actually this doesn't you know let's try it here let's move them around so maybe being too too stagnant with the the visuals in advance of not having the, done the rehearsals the, the rehearsal thing is a is a big thing because for me it's key yeah. like workshopping mm. um i always like the actors to kind of tweak the script if it mm. doesn't feel natural coming out of their mouth yeah. i'm totally cool with them it needs to feel as authentic as possible yeah. but so yeah workshopping i for me is one of the most important things actually yeah. mm. for me it was to relax i, I mm. was oh, yeah, so yeah. It was helpful yeah i was so stressed mm. yeah and i wish i hadn't been you mm. know there's videos of me i did a whole behind the scenes stuff the whole thing and i'm literally manic and really it's like, yeah whoa yeah chill out you're fine and i think it's the the it was a studio movie, so the, yeah. the pressure, mm. same as you, maybe it was the same. I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this right. This is my one chance. And it's not true. That was just a chance. Yeah. You've got this. You know what you're doing. You've yes. prepped with an inch of its life. You're all right. And you're, you're making free. a movie. You're making yeah. a this movie. Is this, this is a dream. You've got to enjoy it, man. And I, right? I, I, yeah. think, I think that's that's the other thing as well, is over, over prepping. Like Maybe different people function different mm. ways, but if I'm badly slept mm. and, and I've stayed up like an extra amount of time to really go through the, the thing that's happening the next day, but I'm tired. I can't make any decisions. I'm useless. Mm. Whereas if I go to bed early 
you know, I've had a glance over, but, you know, okay, yes, I, I haven't spent the extra time that I could because things have run over or because this problem happened or that problem. But I'm awake and I'm fresh and I can think. I can make decisions like that. Mm. And, and I think a lot of people try to burn the candle and, you know, go out and have crew drinks after <sighs> their, you know, after mm. their shoot day. And um, they don't just take the time to actually relax and mentally unwind and they burn themselves out. And, and I yeah. think having that mental sharpness yeah. is, is kind of sometimes more important than, than the preparation. You can do the preparation in advance to obviously try and remedy a lot of that anyway. Mm -hmm. But that's that's a big thing I, I see but, with people is they're just sort of walking zombies and they're like, well, you're useless. Yeah, the, sleep is so important. It's really good advice. Uh, I think the, the other thing actually, um, I think for me for the next one is just making sure, like it ties into the, you know, you're making a movie thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, that needs to be the mentality for everyone there. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it's yeah. like, it's kind of such an old fashioned thing where like, you know, people are just, I mean, obviously people work very, very hard and they're very tired, but you want your crew to not be treating it as just another job. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, you know, and you Mer want- Mercenaries I find like really demoralizing. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously you want to be working on a, on a film where you can pay them enough where they're not feeling like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to, I'm just going to clock out at the end of the day. But it, it, I think it is really important to have those people that like, that aren't always just thinking this is a job. Yeah, you know, the second the, the you know the the clock hits the hour, I'm out of here. Um, you know, and, and they're actually thinking, okay, well, these people that are trying to make the film are human, and they're desperately stressed, <laughs> and they're trying to mm. film. So it's find that find that balance. But but it's how you get them on side. That's yeah, the that's the key. That, that it's, comes it's not from you. Them like crew. That, yeah, I think that comes from you. That yeah. comes from, from keeping yeah. that passion. Yeah. And like you know, my my producer Collie and I, you know, we were. I mean, the whole time we were just sort of like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. Even when you're in your, you're not making your day and like mm. you, you're really stressed. It's like, <laughs> this is keep, amazing. This, <laughs> this, this is amazing. In fact, I think it might've been like you and your person. Um, no, no, you need to have that mentality in mind where it's like, okay, like, yes, this is a stressful right now. We need to get this thing, mm. but ultimately I'm making it an effing movie mm. and this is a great problem to have, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and I think that will filter through, especially for the runners, I yeah. think, because you don't want people, there's this, that old oh, fashioned- I hate treating runners like, like dirt. Like, but, you know, but it's such an so old fashioned do, thing. Yeah. You, can't, mm. you shouldn't ever do that. And yeah. just, just because like, you know, we were, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean it should, it's right. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think you want everyone to, to, to have a great time on set, yeah. even, even uh, if it gets really, really tough, by the end of it, it's like, no, no, no that was tough, but I achieved yeah. a great movie day. You know? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, well, that's the thing. You have achieved a brilliant film here. Thanks, yeah. man. No, you have. It's, yeah. it's incredible. It's, it's done really well. You know, what was it? Number two on Netflix? It was, it was t for that week, it was number two in the UK, number eight in the US, and four globally. Top, top 10 in six, 62 countries. I mean, haven't, not bad. I mean, I clearly haven't memorized that. <laughs> Don't say that to myself in the mirror every day. Every yeah. day. Um, Studies go up tomorrow. But, <laughs> but how incredible. Interestingly, your, you know, your actor there, uh, who was Biffa nominate for a breakthrough role, uh, Leo Long, you know, stunning performance. Talk about that. Long listed. Yes, no, no, he Leo was, Long was he was actually yeah. nominated. He was originally He was actually long listed for best support best mm. supporting actor actually. Yeah. There you go. Uh, talk about working in, in that process and working with a neurodivergent actor. That that experience was amazing. It was you know that that was something that we were very keen on on um, on doing from the from the from the beginning. It was was essentially giving an opportunity to. Uh, 
neurodivergent actors, essentially, you know, uh, because there's been so many stories in the past that have been told, uh, you know, brilliant stories, but but the the opportunities weren't given to to actors that had that lived experience. Mm. Um, so we just felt that that we would be able to find that actor um, by first going to neurodivergent um, talent. Mm. Uh, a lot of them weren't actors. That Leo was a first time actor. Um, he was actually a musician. He, he sort of turned up on his uh, his audition, uh, started playing the banjo. Uh, and then uh, a baron, this Irish drum, and uh, just totally blew us away. And, and his personality as well, because although the character is inspired by my cousin Saul, he he isn't Saul. You know, he, he, there's there's mm. certain elements and themes and his relationship with music. But we wanted Leo to really bring a lot of himself into this role. And Leo didn't actually speak until he was nine years old. He was nonverbal. So you know, his story in itself is amazing. He went mm. from being nonverbal at nine to starring in a Netflix film at 19, you know, wow. um, and yeah, I'm really proud of his performance and the same with the other neurodivergent cast. Um, you've got, uh, the majority of the members of the drum circle, wow. uh, the, the music circle. Mm. Um, and it, it also just made the, it was the first week of shooting that. So it really helped get the crew on board as well to see what, what we were trying to make and, mm. um, and, and, and how we were trying to make and, it. And it's basically just another, it's another department, it's another support department. So, I mean, you have like stunt coordinators, you have intimacy coordinators. Now on this one, you have a neurodivergent coordinator or someone in the sort of support role to yeah. work in the film. Yeah, so, so we actually work with uh, the National Autistic Society during, mainly during development uh, and also, uh, uh, a little bit of production, but mainly and post-production as well, just making sure that the story we were telling was authentic and true, uh, not only for, for the role of Stevie, but the other neurodivergent um, cast and also uh, Amber as well, the, the mum, you know, because from from the research that I'd done that there's uh, and and Eleanor as well there's there's not been many um depictions where it's it's that fair to to parents and family members of, of autistic uh characters so you know Eleanor worked really really closely with with uh, Leo's mum Yumi and and did her research as well uh to give a kind of authentic performance uh to to give a very authentic performance, not kind of authentic performance. Um, and so Trisha Hitchcock uh, came to us through uh, Access All Areas, who we work very closely with. Um, he, she was essentially Leo's acting coach. So, uh, you know, she would work, uh, and the other members of Access All Areas would work in pre-production very closely, making sure they'd, they'd go through the script and assist him, uh, and advising the, uh, our crew uh, and production team uh, about breaks and and the type of environment that, that, that we needed to set. Um, and, you know, pe people ask me kind of what are the, like, is it more challenging? And, uh, and it actually, it, it's not that it's more challenging to work with neurodivergent cast at all. Um, and I would, the, one of the things that I, probably the most important thing that I'd like us to achieve from the film is to kind of encourage financiers and filmmakers to work with neurodivergent cast um, and crew more. It, it's that every actor has their own process. Some have different ones, you know, there's like legendary kind of things about certain actors. With Leo, he had certain needs, you know, and that's and and we wanted to get the best performance out of him. So we would react to that. And that, mm -hmm. that's how that's how it went. So mm. yeah, Trisha Hitchcock was amazing. She she worked with us on uh essentially helping me direct Leo. Mm. Um that was essentially what what happened there. Um and it was uh yeah, we're really proud of his performance. Yeah, it should, it be. should be, yeah. It's incredible. Um listen, Eddie, this yep. has been Amazing. Literally, oh, thank cheers. you yeah, so much it. for chatting away. And listen, I used to be famous. It's still on Netflix. Now, go watch it. Go support. If you Give haven't. it two thumbs up, not one. 
there you go. Give it the four stars it deserves. Thank you. Honestly, this has been great. Where can people find you on the socials? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> in your loft. <laughs> number, number, number 22. <laughs> um, I think it's esternberg.director uh, on Instagram and eddie underscore sternberg on Twitter. There you go. There we go. So do, and if you do uh, write to Eddie, honestly, don't just go. Uh, just slide in the DM. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I want to make films help me. You know, watch his film first. And I then... want to make films. Please help me. Yes, be, be polite. <laughs> be polite. What's uh, one bit of advice you could give young Eddie, desperate to make films, out of hope, wanting that one bit of useful info? Keep that burning. Trust that burning passion and desire. And if something, if you don't have that for a project, it's not the right thing. Yeah, love it. Thanks very much, Eddie. Cheers, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. Ah, oh, the lovely Eddie there on Filmmakers Podcast. What a treat. What a treat. What a treat. Go out there, make your films, make it happen. Do as Eddie has done. You can turn your short into a feature if you want. Shorts do lead to feature films. Believe in yourself and go out there and make your films. And if you've already made a feature film, make another one. What are you doing about that? That's the long and the short of it, you could say. It, you really could. Uh, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, uh, and don't take the short elevator, you take the long one, <laughs> then send it back down to everyone else out there. Or maybe take, maybe take the escalator so you can fit lots of people on your journey with you that's really nice they can follow you can't they yeah i like yeah. that i like yeah, yeah. that and if you're going up the wrong way then it's good exercise so yeah except people will be traveling around the other side so if you're going they're trying to go up and you're sending it back down what, what about if you jumped from one to the other you could do that because you know what yeah. it's like trying to run up an escalator that's going down. I feel like that's that's what film is like. It's like jumping from one escalator across a, a, a precipice onto the <laughs> other one. It's like running up a down escalator. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Take care. Go out there. Make films. We will see you next week. Until then, uh, we take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.